We are going to France, France, Paris, the city of love, the city of lights. All right. Of course, France is more than Paris. All right. But we will talk more about Paris and the country of France in a minute. All right. This podcast, this podcast is a spinoff of my hit class on OutSchool, OutSchool.com, where I am now in my fourth year of guiding a group of students on a perpetual trip around the world, around the world with Mr. Clark. All right, every week we pop into a new country, learn some of the basics like, where is it? Who are its neighbors? How many people live there? What's the capital? What's the flag look like? What's the story behind the flag? And then we look at people, places, things. Who are some of the people from this country who we would want to know about? What are some places that we would want to visit? What are some things that we just want to make sure we know? All right, so I spend an hour in class with my students looking at these places in VR. I finish teaching and then I come on here. I come on the podcast and I spend 20 minutes with you. 20 minutes of highlights. All right. 20 minutes of highlights from friends is a tall order. Okay, so I better not waste any more time. Let's jump into it. Of course, of course. Paris, Paris is the largest city. It's the largest city. It's the capital city. It's the dominant city in the country, right? Politically, financially, culturally. I mean, think about this. Um, in the United States, right? Washington, D.C. is the capital city. Politically, New York is the financial capital. Culturally, they're sort of diffused power. I mean, we could make an argument for L.A., LA is sort of a cultural capital, but we can make arguments for other places as well. But Paris, Paris is the hub of France in so many ways. All right, now, um, every week when my students come to class, we have this collaborative board where they, they can post stuff to the board, all right? And it's an online program where people can see what other people are posting. And of course, this week, students are dropping pictures of the Eiffel Tower or crepes. Um, one student posted, and she was all excited. She was like, Coco Chanel was from Paris. And I love when my students bring this kind of stuff up because right, there's a reason why Coco Chanel is from Paris. Because Paris has for centuries been, if not the center, then a center of fashion, right? So Coco Chanel, just so we're clear, right? French fashion designer and businesswoman, all right? Tycoon. Uh, founder and namesake of the Chanel brand. Um, and she's credited in the post-World War I era 
with popularizing what Wikipedia calls a sporty casual chic as the feminine standard of style. By the way, though. Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. Regular listeners of the podcast know that all the best stuff from this podcast comes in the by the ways. Like I wasn't going to talk about this, but ooh, there it is. Just thought of it. Coco Chanel lived at the Ritz in Paris. And I think when I was in Paris, did I stop in, at the Ritz for a drink? I definitely walked by it or walked into the lobby or whatever. And now the Ritz Carlton hotel chain is world famous and one of the most respected and established brands in luxury travel. The very first Ritz Carlton was on Madison Avenue in New York City. The Ritz in Paris is not part of the Ritz Carlton chain. Just, and by the way, Marriott now owns the Ritz Carlton chain. Um, the Ritz in Paris, the building's facade dates back to 1705. 1705, King of France is Louis XIV, who's also referred to as the Sun King. Um, Jules Hardun Mansart sketched its initial design. Uh, Hardun Mansart is perhaps the most famous architect of the French Baroque period. Now, my wife is an architect. All right. So now this is the by the way of my by the way. I'm already on a by the way, and now I'm going on a by the way of my by the way. But I know that word Mansart, and maybe I know that word Mansart from the time I spent in Paris with my wife, because she probably mentioned like something about when I hear Mansar, Mansar roofs. And, and I just asked my wife before I clicked record, she's like, yeah, like every roof in Paris is a Mansar roof. Probably not every roof, but. So there, there's some importance to this name. All right. Anyway, all right. Um, back to the Ritz, right? Princess Diana. Princess Diana ate her last meal at the Ritz in Paris. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Ernest Hemingway, Oscar Wilde, all right, these are the kind of people who spent a lot, all right, they didn't stop in for a visit, they didn't spend one night, they spent a lot of time at the Reds in Paris, and Coco Chanel lived there and died there, but her history living at the Ritz is complicated. Let's just put it that way. Like she she lived there. She lived at the Ritz during, during the Nazi occupation of Paris. Like, does this is this complicated? Like she why was she, why was Germany okay with her living at the Ritz during the Nazi occupation of Paris? She's living with her German aristocratic lover at the Ritz during the Nazi occupation of Paris. After the liberation of Paris by the Allies, she left Paris and spent like a decade in Switzerland on the down low. Like she was just kind of like, I'm gonna get out of here for a while. And then comes back and I think she died in the early 70s, 71 maybe. All right, so yeah, Coco Chanel. Um, all right, Paris, city of love, city of lights. 
um, and a center of fashion for centuries. Okay, as I pointed out to my students this week, it makes sense, right, that a, a fashion icon would be from a city that is famous for fashion, right? Last week in class, we learned about Cristiano Ronaldo, who is maybe the greatest soccer player of all time. And it makes sense that, that maybe the greatest soccer player of all time would come from a country where soccer is a big deal. Okay, two places that we looked at in Paris this week. Of course, of course, one of those places was the Eiffel Tower, um, which, by the way, all right, like these tourism boards and tourism industries that track these things, um, they will tell you that the Eiffel Tower is not the most visited site in Paris. So if the Eiffel Tower is not the most visited site in Paris, what do you think is? I'll just, I'll just pause and let you... Think about that for a moment. What do you think is the most visited site in all of Paris? It's not the Eiffel Tower. Or do, do you have your answer? Um, Notre Dame Cathedral is the most visited site in Paris. All right, but just think about this. All right, just kind of roll with me here for a second. Um, close your eyes. Close your eyes and picture Paris. All right, now, when you close your eyes and picture Paris, by the way, if you're driving, open your eyes, please. Um, close your eyes and picture Paris. You see the Eiffel Tower, right? Right, like we can't picture Paris and not picture the Eiffel Tower. But think about, right, the Eiffel Tower was not completed until 1889. Um. 1889 was the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution. Paris was holding the World's Fair in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution. By the way, we could have a long conversation about the French the French Revolution, and we may okay, we may come back to the French Revolution. Um, but for my American listeners. All right, you, you probably think the American Revolution is a big deal. And I'm not saying the American Revolution isn't a big deal. I'm just saying that historians, like, in the grand scheme of things, historians tend to, to rank the French Revolution as more important than the American Revolution, in part because, like, America was over there, and France is, like, right there. Okay, but, okay, anyway, think about this. The Eiffel Tower has been there since 1889. When it was completed, it was the world's tallest man-made structure. It would remain the world's tallest man-made structure for 41 years until the completion of the Chrysler Building in New York City in 1930. Now it is like way, 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 way down the list. But for 41 years, it was the world's tallest man-made structure. Hitler ordered it demolished when the Allies were approaching Paris. Thankfully, his general on the ground ignored the order. Thank you. Um, Gustav Eiffel, who is the guy behind the Eiffel Tower, uh, is a very interesting person. The story of how he won the design and won the won the, the honor of building the Eiffel Tower is kind of interesting. And he, he kind of got awarded that in kind of shady way. Um, he also had a hand in the Statue of Liberty. He had a hand in the Suez Canal, and he had a hand in the failed French attempt at building the Panama Canal. All right, by the way, if you want to learn more about the Panama Canal, 
David McCullough's excellent book on the Panama Canal. Read it. I'm not going to get into that in this episode. All right. But again, if we close our eyes and picture Paris in our mind's eye, we can't help but picture the Eiffel Tower. But think about it. For centuries, people went to Paris and the Eiffel Tower wasn't there. Like when Thomas Paine or Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin were hanging out in Paris, the Eiffel Tower wasn't there. When Louis XIV or Marie Antoinette were in Paris, there was no Eiffel Tower there. So let's just say this. Okay, the last decade of the 1800s, it was there. But if you went to Paris at any time in the 1800s, it wasn't there. Or the 1700s, or the 1600s, or the 1500s, or the 1400s, or the 1300s. It wasn't there. All right. But all that time, all that, like, just think about it. All that time, Notre Dame was there. There's not been a single person who has stepped foot in Paris for, like, 900 years. And, and they stepped foot in Paris without Notre Dame being there. It's kind of crazy. Construction began on Notre Dame in 1163. It was completed in 1345. All right, now, think about that number for a second. File it away. You're going to win like a million dollars in some trivia contest someday because you remember this number, which is, just think about it for one moment, is super easy to remember, right? One, three, four, five, right? Completed in the year 13. 45. All right. If you if you ever win a million dollars because you remember that date because I gave it to you, please contact me and buy me dinner. Um, Notre Dame Cathedral is where Napoleon, Napoleon crowned himself emperor at Notre Dame Cathedral. It is the shining example of what we refer to as French Gothic architecture. Uh, French Gothic architecture um, is one of the defining characteristics of French Gothic architecture is also contains, right? French Gothic architecture contains my favorite architectural feature to say, which is flying buttresses. My wife, uh, who's an architect, of course, I've already mentioned this, calls it an exoskeleton, right? The skeleton is on the outside. That's what allows them to have such massive open spaces in the, um, Notre Dame Cathedral. Of course, in 2019, massive fires uh, damaged Notre Dame Cathedral and um, a massive renovation has been underway since that time. All right, I have been to France. And so I, this week in class and this week on the podcast, I'm able to talk about France um, with some personal experience. In 2018, the year 2018, my buddy Josh, a friend from college, my friend Josh and I, Spent a few weeks riding our bikes up some of the most iconic mountain passes in the world. You're probably familiar with, you may be familiar with, the Tour de France, right? Which there's really not a set route on the Tour de France, but there are some sections of the Tour de France that have historically always been part of it. Alpe d'Huez, one of the more famous um, mountain passes, which we did climb. Um, we also, uh, so the Tour de France typically also includes one of three climbs from Mont Ventoux. So Mont Ventoux is also known as the Beast of Provence. It's a very storied um, mountain, and it's a thing. There's three routes up Mont Ventoux, and, and it's like a thing to try to do all three routes in one day. 
And it's crazy. It's like 14,000, almost 15,000 feet of climbing. It like up and down total will be like 60 miles. That's about 15 miles each way, I think. So maybe it's a little bit more than, yeah, 45 miles up, 45 miles down, something like that. So in 80 or 90 miles, you're going to do 14,000 feet of climbing. Um, and it was awesome. One of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, and I, I love, I love riding bikes. Um, so next week in the class and on the podcast, we are going to Italy. All right. And my friend Josh and I, we, we started out, we were riding in France. We rode to Italy. We ended in the city of uh, Vicenza, which is near Venice. And then I spent a night in Florence. And then I continued on to Rome. I met my wife in Rome. Now, I rode my bike all around Italy and France. My wife and I traveled by train <laughs> uh, and stayed in hotels. But um, we we then, right, we, so I rode, I rode my bike from France to Italy and then traveled by train from Italy back to France. So I have some experience in France and, and like varied experience, right? Like half that time riding bikes and, and eating at these little mountain chalets and half my time um, with my wife. Uh, okay, just a little more luxury than I have with my buddy, Josh. Um, and we came back to France through Monaco and then got to Nice and then back to Paris. But with my buddy Josh and with my wife, I experienced, I ex okay, with both of them, this is what's so cool about France. Um, it's the good life. It's the good life. Like this is a country that values good food, good wine, good cheese, art, fashion. I love, I love France. Okay, so also, right, when we came back into France, we entered back in through Monaco or in Nice, all right, so this is the south of France, you're on the Mediterranean Sea, Nice is like the big city that you could call the capital of, it's like the capital of the south of France in a way. Um, all right, so I, okay, I am, I am mindful of our time here, I am mindful of our time, I have to have some discipline, right, I have to have some discipline in terms of how long we take on these podcasts um okay looking looking at the map uh this week there's this amazing stretch of paris where you have the you have the arc de triomphe and then you go down champs Elysees, which is one of the most famous streets in the world and then you get to place de la concorde um and then there are these amazing parks and these amazing gardens and you end at the louvre all right, which is one of the most famous and most amazing museums in the world. Um, it's, it's where the Mona Lisa is. It's the former palace of the French royal family until they decided it wasn't nice enough and they didn't want to be in the center of town. They wanted to build a nicer palace outside the city. And that's, that's Versailles. Um, but that area from Arc de Triomphe to the Louvre, it's, it's massive tourist traffic, but it's just, it's also idyllic. It's just, wonderful and, and it's just crazy to me when i'm in paris because i'm sitting there and i'm eating a crepe like a strawberry and nutella crepe that i've gotten from a street vendor and i'm sitting there and i'm like right there like i can pretty much pinpoint the spot and i'm like right there there was a guillotine set up right there 
The, the French Revolution, part of it at least, would come to be known as the Reign of Terror. And tens of thousands of people would be guillotined, including Marie Antoinette, who's probably the most famous person guillotined. Uh, by the way, I do have an idea. I realize this is not a super original idea. I have, I've had an idea to write these like uh, alternative histories. And an alternative history I would write if I took the time to write alternative histories would be the history of Marie Antoinette. Because I, I think that Marie Antoinette gets a bad rap. And here's the, here's the deal. Like, she is... She becomes the picture of the out-of-touchness of the French monarch. And, uh, right, like the, the French monarch is so out of touch. But, and, and just to be clear, right, she's, she's married to King Louis XVI. Uh, but think about this. Marie Antoinette was from wealth and royalty. She was married. She was married at the age of 15. She was queen at the age of 19. And by 37, she was dead. And I think, if you study Marie Antoinette, I think that at 37, she was just starting to figure out life. And I think that if she had been able to live the second half of her life, I think the second half of her life would have looked very different. All right. But that's, that's it. Should I, okay, should I do, this is my question, should I do another episode on France? Because we didn't talk about the Sun King, we didn't talk about Monet, we didn't talk about Musée d'Orsay, we didn't talk about Napoleon, we didn't talk about Joan of Arc. So if you think France deserves another episode, email me and let me know, clarkvand at gmail.com. That's clarkvan at gmail.com. All right, by the way, we're going to take some content. We're, we're actually, we're starting to record these um, podcasts by video. And so we're going to take some of the video we get from these podcasts and start making some Instagram reels and TikTok videos. So follow me on the gram, clarkvan on the gram. Uh, TikTok too. By the way, so far, I have all time, all time I've recorded or published four posts on TikTok. So I've been active on TikTok, but we are going to do some more with it. So uh, I'm Clark Vand on the gram, Clark Vand, C-L-A-R-K-V-A-N-D on TikTok as well. Of course, you can find the uh, links to my classes on OutSchool or, and perhaps other places I'm teaching because I, I have had some people reach out to me about teaching on other platforms. Um, so, but you can find links to my classes in the show notes. All right, that's France. 67 million people, which by the way, makes it the fourth most populous country in Europe, right? Russia, Germany, the UK, and then France. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.